HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. This is Mike Edison, host of Art Senses and Seizures. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, please visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Well, hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. Did you miss me? We were on a little bit of a break for summer vacation, but now we're back. Today is the first episode of the fall-winter season, and I'm really excited. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. I'm the host of Tech Bites. Every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m., we're here in the shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn, talking about the intersection of food and technology. And that technology is digital, web, internet, apps, and that kind of thing. We do not really talk so much about cooking tech. If you're into immersion circulators, 3D food printers, and all that kind of thing, you want to head over to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the Dave Arnold Show cooking issues. If you like that little ditty, that is the Tech Bites theme song. We have a local New York DJ named Uptown Nico to thank for it. It's called CPU Nomada. And if you want to check out Uptown Nico and his tunes or on social media, he is at Uptown Nico, N-I-K-K-O. That is always how we kick off the show, that great little song. The next thing that I like to do is to introduce everyone here in the booth and the studio so that you can hear some voices and match personalities to the voices. The most important people are the people in the production booth who turn the shipping container conversation into podcast radio. First up, we have Jack Inslee, who is Heritage Radio Network's executive producer. He is our engineer and also the host of a fantastic DJ show on Thursday nights called Full Service Radio. You're Jack. too kind. Welcome back, Jen. Well, I'm feeling the love because I missed you. Yeah, I missed you too. It's nice having the shows back. We were uh, hard at work plugging away at this new website. 
the new website. It's so exciting. The official, official launch for the new website is next week, right? That's right. There's a huge party we're throwing, too, which is free. So uh, if you're listening to the show and you want to come celebrate with us, that's Monday, September 21st in the back garden of Roberta's, where you can also see me and Up Down Nico DJ. So, And... It's from 5 to 10. 5 to 10 is right. It's free, but there is an Eventbrite RSVP because we are going to max out on headcount because the Tiki Bar Garden thing can only hold so many revelers. That's right. And by party, we mean DJ, pig roast, tequila, beer, and tech bites. (laughs) And tech bites. (laughs) Maybe we can get Nico to play the theme song in the set. Oh, we'll make that happen. We also in the back have Liz who is sometimes engineer. I'm not quite sure what her role is back there today, but we love to see her. I'm the assistant engineer today. Well, thank you for coming and assisting. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here, Jen. (laughs) And today uh, we have some very special guests. Uh, We have two restaurant owners from New York City. Uh, We have Tommy. Hello. How are you? Thanks for coming out. And we have JC. Hello. How are you? So the first thing we do on Tech Bites is we start every show like a great meal with an appetizer, and we all go around and talk about some of our favorite apps, new ones we've discovered, old favorites that we can't seem to delete from our phones. And I will kick it off and give everyone some time to think about what their answer is. And because it's back to school, because it's back to school, and I'm also trying to spend a little bit less time with my technology and be more effective with my time on my technology, I'm going to call out an old favorite, which is Pocket. You can download Pocket at getpocket.com. It is free. It's iPad, iPhone, Windows, Android, and BlackBerry, if there's anybody left out there with one of those. And basically, it saves articles that you want to read later to the cloud and then downloads them to your computer device so that they're native and you can read them later without a Wi-Fi connection. And it started in 2007 just as an extension to the Firefox browser, but then it got converted into an app, and there's something like 14 million users with over 1 billion articles saved over the course of, I think, the last year, which is pretty amazing and a lot of reading. So whenever I'm on my Twitter and Facebook and other social media and cruising around on the Internet, it's really easy for me to get into that black hole where you just go down the rabbit hole and start clicking through on different articles and then suddenly, you know, crap, it's time to go. I'm going to be late for the show. But this is really helpful, so I just now save everything to pocket and then I can read it later when I'm on the subway or someplace where I don't have Wi-Fi. So pocket, that's mine. Jack, do you have something that you are using right now? Um, I have an update on an old favorite. Uh, as you know, I'm a fan of Cover. Yes. And they, they did launch their 2.0, which is a bit more of a discovery tool. So if you're listening to this and didn't, didn't know what I'm talking about, Cover is an app where basically you enter your credit card information and you leave a default tip setting. You get to the restaurant and you say, hey, I'm paying with Cover. And then they find you on Cover and that's it. When you're done eating, you get up and you leave and your bill is all paid for automatically on your credit card with a tip included. Um, 
So they just launched version 2.0 of the app, which again is like more of a discovery tool alongside that. So it's, you know, explore restaurants close to you. They've got recommendations and kind of a review integration. So there's a lot more happening there now, Um, but it's great. It's new. That's exciting. We'll have to check that out. And it's worth noting that if you're interested in learning a little bit more about Cover, the founder was a guest on Tech Bytes in the right. spring season. So go to the website, to the show page, and check it out. It was a pretty interesting interview. He's an interesting guy. He came from finance and worked for the feds um, and wanted to Uberize the restaurant payment experience. So he created Cover. Uh, Liz, you're sitting back there, so you know it's coming. Yes, yes. So this week I'm going with a little app called TurboScan. Basically, turning your iPhone or smart device into a little scanner making PDFs, which has been really helpful for this little New Yorker who's been applying to apartments left and right. Oh, boy. So, you know, you need access to applications, W-2s, IDs, and such. So this has really come in handy to make one giant PDF of all my stuff so I can just be bang first in line. That's awesome. TurboScan. Which, did you use any of the uh, real estate apps or web services to find your places um, of curiosity? I've been bouncing between Naked Apartments and Street Easy, both of which have very nice, easy-to-use apps. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, that's kind of like a one-two punch for people who are in the real estate market right yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. So, wish me luck. Good luck. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know what the apartment hunting equivalent is for break a leg. <laughs> yeah, sign a lease, I guess. Uh, sign a lease. <laughs> Tommy, do you have uh, an app that you like right now? Uh, I'm pretty uh, pretty boring. I stick with Instagram. It's you know what? Millions and millions and millions of people would agree with you. Yeah, it's simple. I can keep up with friends or friends of friends or ex-girlfriends and, you know, get lost in the black hole of that. Yeah, simple. Well... Instagram is a great app and people love it. And it's worth noting that next week's episode is going to be Instagram boot camp. So if you're really into Instagram, you might want to come back next week at one and check it out. There's going to be a lot of fun pro tips on how to be better at it and get more followers. All right. JC, do you have an app that you like right now? Uh, Yeah, I'm using something which is not an app as yet, but they've told me it's going to become an app. So it's a website currently on the mobile. It's called Jossy. It was started by a bunch of NYU kids. And it's great for me because I can hire my part-time help on that. Because for me, it's really hard to find good people. And I can get access to a lot of the NYU kids using that website, basically. Can you spell that? J-O-Z-I-I dot com. With all of these new businesses and, and fewer and fewer good URLs, you often find that people give their businesses funny names That's or right. crazy spellings of things just so that they can get a just URL. Exactly. So that's great. So that's a job board for college students. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so yes. if you're a college student looking for a job, maybe check it out. Yeah. So our two restaurant owners, Tommy and JC, they're here to talk about something that we read a lot about in the media. It is one of the top, top food tech stories and growth industries, and that is food delivery. I've been reading some statistics online from different publications. Food delivery in the United States uh, represented something close to $70 million. 
70 billion dollars pardon last year and 9 billion of that that's billion with a b is food ordered online which is kind of amazing and it's one of the biggest growth categories for food and tech i would break it into three different sections you have uh, the Seamless and the Grubhub and Delivery.com, which are basically websites with menus. You put in your credit card information, you order, and then that order goes to a restaurant, and the restaurant is then responsible for preparing it and delivering it to you. So that's sort of the pure kind of middleman delivery service. They're just taking the order and providing the infrastructure for the payment the middle category are things that are a little bit new. They're things like uh, Caviar and Uber Eats, where they are working with restaurants that may have delivery or maybe a little fancier, more casual, fine dining, sometimes restaurants where maybe they do not have delivery as a part of their service offering. So things like Caviar and Uber Eats are going to provide the platform for the menu, for the payment, but they're also going to provide the actual delivery service where Caviar and Uber Eats has drivers and delivery people that are going to go to the restaurant, pick it up, and deliver it to the customer. So that's sort of another permutation of it where it's a little more of a closed ecosystem. And then the last one is really to get ingredients and food to prepare at home. So there's a, a number of companies ranging from you know blue apron to plated um, there's a bunch of new sort of mise en place companies where you go online and you order and you're ordering ingredients to come to your house that you're then going to prepare and then the last category which um, I've, I've seen a little increasing media coverage on is things that are almost like a restaurant where it's a company like savory or most recently Dave Chang's Maple, where there is a food production commissary or facility where they're producing food and menus, very limited, and then you can order that and then they get it delivered. So those are basically the four cross sections of food delivery happening right now. And when we read about them in the technology magazines, when we read about them in the newspapers, online, on the foodie websites, we talk primarily about what a great business opportunity it is to get a chunk of that $9 billion. We talk about how amazing it is for consumers and how easy it is for customers. With just a couple taps on their phone, they can order anything delivered to almost anywhere. We talk about how great it is for big companies to connect a seamless account to their HR department so they can offer employees you know, food when they work late at night or during the day and not have to worry about you know, hundreds and hundreds of processing receipts and paybacks. But the piece that we don't hear very much about is how is this working out for restaurants? And something that we say over and over again on this show is that most of the new technology that's being created right now for food and restaurants are not being created by restaurant people. Things like cover, caviar, Uber Eats. These are all things created by people who have an experience as diners, 
who sit in a restaurant or sit on their couch or sit at their desk and say, hey, I really wish my experience was like this. I wish I didn't have to pay a check. I wish I could get my favorite pork bun delivered to my office. I wish I didn't have to tell the person on the other end of the phone my credit card information over and over again. So people create something based on need and want, which is wonderful, which is you know how we get fun, new, amazing things and grow business. But the key, key element to this, it's fascinating to me, it's never restaurant people. And so we don't talk about those $9 billion. How does that get cut up? Who gets which piece of the pie? And how does it really work for restaurants? Is it as convenient and wonderful for them as it is for the rest of the world? So Tommy and JC are both... um, modest, independent restaurant owners. Um, they are both here in New York, and they are both faced with a sea of delivery options that is rapidly, rapidly changing. And today they're going to talk a little bit about what their experience has been, plus, minus, good, bad, and ugly. So, Tommy, why don't we start off with you? Tell us a little bit about your restaurant and what your delivery program is. Uh, so it's a... Uh I'd say fast, casual, uh, mostly takeout, a lot of delivery, um, not in a very high foot traffic area. Um, didn't know that going in. I guess I had a pipe dream of a full dining room all the time. But um, yeah, we use all the uh, the standards, Grubhub, Delivery.com, Seamless. Um, recently started with Caviar. Um and of course, we can you can go old school and call the restaurant, which not many people like to do. But yeah, you can do that as well. So, how long have you been in business? Uh, a little shy of two years. So you opened your business right at the heart of when all of these things were happening. Yeah, I'd say uh, I'm not a big delivery person when I'm not working, so I wasn't very hip to it. But people that I've worked with, places I worked before, uh, I kind of seen where the business could grow. Um, so I think I knew going into opening that we would do some delivery, but not to the extent that we do. What was your original game plan for your delivery? Be- having the pipe dream of a full dining room and, and not realizing you were in a place that didn't have a lot of foot traffic? I was hoping it'd be that, you know, that little bit of extra money you could put in your pocket, but uh, I didn't know it'd be the, the sole way to pay the bills. Um, were you going to offer delivery through your website or just by the phone? Did you plan to use these delivery services out of the gate? Or uh, Yeah, I'd say we probably only were open a few days before we got into the seamless scrub of um, and everything else. Caviar is a newer thing to me. Um, I thought it would be a little easier to do direct, but I just didn't realize how frequently people use the apps. They're easy, uh, you know long hard day of work you don't feel like getting on the phone you want to have the food there when you get home you do it on the train uh i wasn't hip to it but it's real (laughs) well just to some background on seamless they launched in 1999 and they were originally for b2b used to um for catering and sort of more business to business larger scale type connections between businesses and restaurants They expanded to individual consumers in 2005, and then they were bought by Aramark in 2006. They took in 50 million in 2011. They merged with Grubhub in 2013. 
So the interesting thing about them is of that $9 billion that we're talking about, statistically what I've read online is that they only capture about 20% of that business. So there's a huge other 80% that's happening elsewhere. But it's worth noting for, me, for, for New York City, in terms of the numbers, um, I just looked at the home pages uh, this morning. So currently in Manhattan, they have 3,997 restaurants available. In Queens, it's 1,523. And in Brooklyn, it's 1,896. So most of your business is coming from, most of your delivery business comes from Seamless and Grubhub? Yeah, I would say um, probably 80 to 90% of it comes from Grubhub or Seamless. And Uh, is that people looking specifically for your restaurant or people just looking for a restaurant? I guess that would be hard to say. Um, Obviously, return people, I would think. They're just using that as the platform to to get delivery from my restaurant. Yeah. but then it also could be they're going on and looking for what's fastest or cheapest or closest or highest rated. Um, unbeknownst to the consumer, unfortunately, the filtering is reflected on the percentage that you pay to the company. Um, so it's not, not necessarily, unless you filter it specifically to a, a certain cuisine when you log in, you are seeing a filter that reflects the commission that you pay to the company. So when I open it up, it gives me a bunch of restaurants on the top if I don't do anything, just a random assortment of, or seemingly random assortment of, you know, maybe 20 odd restaurants, depending on how big my browser page is. And those, those restaurants are determined then by the percentage that the restaurant pays in terms of commission to Correct. the delivery company. Yes. So in terms of, in term, well, let me, let me have JC jump in here also. Um, JC is also an independent restaurant owner in New York. He is also fast casual? Yes, it's a fast casual, healthy Indian food. And what percentage of your business would you say is delivery? In terms of delivery directly to consumers... It's a very small percentage for me, maybe 5 to 6%, something under 10% for sure. And are you currently using the Seamless and the Grubhub? No, we decided not to use any of them. You decided not to use any of them. That's fascinating. So you've been in business for a, a little over a year? That's true. And when you opened, you decided not to do any delivery? Uh, we initially start, started the restaurant not wanting to do any delivery at all. And... This is based on my experience with other restaurants that I've invested in uh, and been a little involved operationally. And it was kind of going in... We are in a high-foot traffic area. We are in the heart of New York University. Uh, So during the lunchtime, we have too much of a crowd so that if we get some random order for two to three meals, it's really hard for us to fulfill. And, you know, in one of my previous, uh, in one of the restaurants where I'm an investor, we tried using Seamless Web. And what we realized is that, you know, people order food for $20, $25, $15. You have to send a delivery person to deliver it. And by the time they deliver and come back, it's like half an hour to 45 minutes. 
and then you have to pay the person at least $9, $10, $11 an hour, otherwise they won't stay with you. So if you do the math, you're spending $6 in labor cost to deliver a meal, which is worth $25. Then it just doesn't work. And on top of that, Seamless and other people are going to take their percentage, which can be anywhere from 15 to 25%, depending on what you agree with them, right? So the percentages that you were talking about in terms of um, paying more, there's a base percentage that they take just to be a part of the service, and then you can add on placement on the different pages or placement in search to increase your opportunity. Is that yeah. what you were saying? Um, I think it's changed over the years. I think in the beginning, from what I heard, it used to be something similar to like Open Table, where you pay a dollar. So every time they bring you a delivery, you pay them a dollar. It's not a percentage of the sale. So if it was a hundred dollar order, it was a ten dollar order. It's a dollar. And then at some point, it moved into a percentage game. Um, and then unfortunately, that percentage continues to grow. Uh, used to be can be between ten and twenty percent, and then plus a few percent for credit card transaction. And now I believe. In a recent phone call I just had, now the lowest that I'm able to do is twelve and a half percent, then plus the the three to four percent for the credit card processing. So, just in a round in general numbers, for both of you, what's percentage wise? What's the percentage of profit that you make on an average order, without all these other things? Just your cost, your cost at the restaurant in terms of your food, your labor, your real estate. What's your average percentage for profit? So the way it works is you have to sell a given amount. Because till you sell that amount, you don't break even. But if you look on average, you make anywhere from 12% to 20%. So 12 to 20%, is that similar for you, Tommy? Um, I'm a bad business owner. Um, (laughs) You're probably a great business owner. You're probably just bad at math. I am. Uh... I like to give away the house. Uh, my percentage is, is a little smaller. Um, I didn't know how expensive beef was. We sell a, a basically all beef product. So uh, it's a little tougher. Um, but I would say in an ideal world, you're making a 10% profit so if when you're, all is said and done. If your profit is anywhere from 10 to 25% and a delivery company is charging you 12 to 25%, that's your profit. Is that... Yeah, you are uh, you are working for people that want delivery. That's the reason I decided not to join delivery services. And that is the perfect outpoint for a little bit of a break. Um, we like to play music during the break, and today that'll be from Knife Show, which I believe is part of Jack's cavalcade of DJs oh, yeah. called Full Service Party. And we're also going to hear from our sponsor, who is Whole Foods Brooklyn, who we love. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Are you a locavore? Our Northeast regional forager for Whole Foods Market sure is. She spends her time traveling around the New York City metro area sourcing the best new or interesting artisanal and handcrafted local products for our purchasing teams at the local store level. Part of our commitment to our local suppliers includes assisting them with the process of getting their products sold at our stores. 
Whether it's suggesting packaging designs, pricing, or distribution methods, she's helping some of the area's best new products reach savvy shoppers at Whole Foods Market stores. Today, New York. Tomorrow, the world. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com stores. Here's what Heritage Radio Network would sound like without donations. It's not as good as the show you were just listening to, is it? Give us a few bucks. Help keep us running. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click the Donate tab on the top right corner. Well, that was a very pointed station break from Jack Inslee. And I would like to add to his moment of silence, which was kind of sad and empty, that Heritage Radio is a .org because we're a 501c3 not-for-profit. And that means just about everything that you donate goes to running the show and making great programming and giving lots of people a place to talk about things that are important to us about our food. But also, it's a tax write-off, just saying. So if you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites. I'm Jennifer Lee, it's your host, and every week we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today that technology is the rapidly expanding world of online delivery service and apps. Online delivery from restaurants represents about $9 billion a year in the United States. And we are talking with two restaurant owners, Tommy and JC. We always hear in the media about how wonderful these services are for customers, for consumers, and for the investors of these great companies. We hear little about how these services are impacting the restaurants. And just before we went into the break, both of these uh, business owners were saying that their profit on their business is about 10 to maybe 25% on their product uh, if things are going well and running smoothly, and most of these delivery services, second and third party, are taking anywhere from 12 to 25% in commission, which kind of sounds impossible. So if you are working with a delivery service that's taking a 15% commission, how do you make money? You don't. You don't? No. I mean, the way that you have to justify it is that... Especially, I guess, with uh, JC and I's businesses, uh, fairly on the newer side, um, you're spreading the word and you're spreading it as fast as possible, hoping that that person really loves it and wants a better experience and they're going to continue to order. Maybe they order direct. Maybe they come in the door and want to experience how you should eat food, where it's cooked. Um, yeah, but, you know, it's better, I guess, to get 80% than zero. I mean, if you want to justify it. So the delivery services, a lot of these companies say that they're providing you with the online platform and the technology for these transactions. Another big selling point is they're providing advertising and access to all of their users um, and additional marketing. Do you, do you find that customers are building loyalty towards your restaurant or are they building loyalty towards the delivery company 
So, my experience is different because I decided not to use these services. Uh, you know, to mention another service, I use Uber Eats. We do Uber Eats maybe once a month, sometimes we've done it twice a month. If I contrast as a restaurant owner, when Uber Eats puts me up on any given day, they only have three meals to two meals. So, if you go on the Uber Eats app, there is immediate discovery. So it's not like you're lost in a sea of 3,000 restaurants where someone has to search for you. And then on that day, I can get anywhere from 100 to 500 meals sold. So it's a lot of effort one day. And then the food is being distributed across a very broad range in Manhattan. And people get to see me. And it's a curated meal. And they take care of all the logistics. So I just prepare the food and put it in bags, they supply me the bags, they come, it's like a very, very well, uh, from my experience in terms of how they pick up the food and, you know, a lot of my friends have ordered. So literally, my friends have said they order the food and the food comes in 10 minutes and it's nice and warm. So we like that service and over there, it's my name, so people know they're ordering from Soho Tiffin Junction and that helps build a brand awareness. Whereas with uh, someone else has approached us recently, I think DoorDash, they're going to do a delivery where they deliver the food also. And again, it's very clearly stated, we have a separate landing page and everything on their site. So we love services like that, where we can maintain our brand recognition and they're adding value by providing logistics. Because the technology of just ordering on the web there are many independent technology providers that you can buy it from now. We use a POS system which provides that. So we've built our own website where we take our own orders. We don't do that much of delivery, but you know we do two, three deliveries every day. But the other thing is that a lot of these businesses, what I have discovered, cannibalizes existing business. So when you say a lot of these other businesses, you mean the delivery businesses yeah, yeah. are cannibalizing yeah. your delivery business? No, but my in-store business. Your so in for example, business. you know, if you look at the behavior of people ordering from Seamless, typically people who are ordering are between 5 to 10 block radius of your restaurant anyway. So that customer was going to walk over to your restaurant and have the food. And now they don't feel like walking that particular evening and they're going to order from Seamless. So now, if Seamless were to say that, look, I'll get you all the business, but every order will be more than 10 blocks away from your restaurant, that could be value-added, right? But that's not happening. So I think majority of it is you just transferring your current business away and not really building any loyalty. Tommy, do you find that to be the case? Uh, yeah, I laugh because I'd say on any given day, we probably do three to five deliveries within a like a hundred foot radius, which is like mind blowing. And then they have the audacity to call and be like, where's my food? It's been 15 minutes. It's like, dude, you could have had it in three. If you just got off your lazy ass and came and picked it up. <laughs> Sorry for those people that live close by. We love you the same, but was it a snowstorm? Was there a big game? No, on? Were they watching like, a movie? I, you know, who, who knows? Watching a movie. Maybe. JC's nodding his head vigorously. Probably with my food, they were stoned. <laughs> That's what I would say. But no, I mean, it's, um, I think JC had a good point. It's, it's tough. You know, you put a lot of energy into owning a restaurant, regardless of what it is. Uh, it's your heart and soul. And 
you want the people to have the best representation of what that is, and that is them coming into the space that you've spent money on. You know, the music that you're playing, the way it looks, the way it feels, the people that you staff it with, you know, and the food is meant to be eaten. It comes off the grill or the oven, and you eat it, and you have an experience. And unfortunately, living in New York City, people just want everything brought to them. They want it... They want it immediately, and they don't want to really have to work for it. So, unfortunately, the majority of my product is delivered. And I, I know it sounds crazy, but I've never even had it delivered. So, I, I don't even know what they're experiencing. We've, <laughs> we've had food that's been messed up that we've had hours later and tastes fine, but I don't know. You raise a, a Both of you raise a very good point about delivery within you know, a 100-foot radius. Owning a, owning a restaurant and being a local business is about being a part of your neighborhood. And the thing that's a little uh, seems incongruous to me is we, as a culture and a society, are talking so much about being involved locally, especially around food. Be involved locally with your local farmer's market, your farmers, your artisans, the people making the yogurt and the cheese and your butcher shop and your restaurants. And when you walk into a restaurant or any food business in your community, you're supporting your local food community and you're being a part of that. And you vote with your dollars and it puts money back into your community. And when you pay a national company the money that's supporting a national business that's not supporting your local business so you know the whole uh, it, it, it's actually you know runs up it, it's a conflict between what we say we're interested in growing and developing in this country or in New York City or you know the, even the millennial generation we're interested in you know being local and being supportive and having neighborhood and having community but these delivery services really seem like the antithesis to that, and yet they are so embraced by people who don't want to walk 100 feet to their restaurant, which is amazing. It's real. Yeah, it, it is, you know, um, it's really hard to rationalize. It's just, I think it could be, in my particular case, it could be because of the kind of ambiance I have. I'm like a fast, casual place. So in the evening, if you want to dress up and go out, you want to go sit down somewhere, have a bottle of wine maybe. So in my case, maybe I don't have the right ambiance in the evening for people to come. So that's something we'll think about. But yeah, generally speaking, you're tired, you come back home, you don't want to walk out. You put on your favorite TV show and the food comes to your door. If you had known, Tommy, that your business was going to be... 80% delivery and not seeing your customers and giving your margins to someone else, would you maybe have rethought your business or done things differently? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it. It's, it's pretty demoralizing. I came from a, a front-of-the-house background, and it's, it's all about the experience, the conversation with the guests, the relationship that you're creating, speaking about the food, the space, and then going into a business where the majority of my business is delivery it's i don't know i guess it's like having an internet relationship <laughs> um 
you want to be friends in real life with people. Yeah, you know, like my my inst- uh, instant message girlfriend. Um, that's kind of what it feels like. You know, you you put out this food to a fictional person. Uh, you know nothing about them minus that they want extra ketchup um, or the steak well done <laughs> or please don't salt it too much this time. And then you make it as fast as you can. You put some love into it. You send it out and that's it. Then you wait for the money from Seamless or Grubhub minus the percentage or a shitty up review. You know, it's tough. So do you think that you can... Is, is it possible for you to change the paradigm of your business with the delivery? Is it possible to shift in the current environment and have people come in or do it a different way? Uh, yes, I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, uh, I'd say over the last few months, we've tried to let people know that what the effect they're having going through Grubhub, Seamless, all these... Um, and to better help support the shop, order direct. Um, or walk in. Yeah, or, yeah, come hang. Who knows? Maybe you'll get something free. You never get free stuff with delivery unless you got the wrong order. Um, <laughs> but really come, true. yeah, come experience it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't hate on delivery. I understand people have their own lives and situations. So it's cool. Just pick up the phone. Or, you know, like JC had, had said, you can... For most restaurants, you can order directly on their website, too. We're all hip to the technology game. You don't have to use the corporate beast. Order direct. Order direct. Well, JC, you've managed to sort of not get involved in it by not getting involved in it. And do you think that that has hurt, helped your business, neutral? Um. Do you think you're losing anything by not being on these platforms? Do you think you're gaining something by going it on your own? I think uh, given our business model, we're not really losing much. Uh, Probably we're not losing anything. Uh, What we are gaining is because we didn't have the delivery business, we've had to think really hard and focus on the in-store crowd that comes in. And also, it has given us the time to build a catering business. And the catering business has been good for me. A, it leverages what I have, so it's good. But B is, you know, over the last four months, we have sent food all across Manhattan, Brooklyn, Long Island City. So being a person who owns only one location, you're always worried, you know. People might like food in that one location or may not like that food in one location just because of that 10-block radius. And now we have a validation from a very large group of people. And, you know, you got iHeart. You know, these are like large companies, LinkedIn, whatever. So, and very diversified. You've got some finance companies, some art companies. So you get a lot more confidence that the cuisine that you're putting out is very widely accepted. So not having to deal with delivery has left me free to think about how to build my business in a more kind of way that accrues to my brand. And otherwise, I'd have just, I think I'd have been lost in the nitty gritty of that delivery stuff, basically. Yep. Finding a way to stand out and have people have a, well, and know whether or not people truly are fans of your food and what you do, or if, you know, it just happened to be that they're in that delivery system and it's whatever comes up. Yeah. It's hard to know, I guess. 
Yeah, that, as you said, you don't get the direct feedback. You don't see a person's face when they're eating your food. So you know, it just goes into a vacuum, and all you know is usually pissed off people will write a bad Yelp review. Someone who's happy is never going to write anything. So you, you don't really know what's happening. You know. So if you were able to, uh, again, I started off by saying a lot of this food tech is not being created by people in the food business which is fascinating to me because I do believe that chefs and restaurant owners and people who make and create food, I believe they're the original and first startups. They're the original entrepreneurs. They're the original startups that said, I have this idea. We're going to make this thing. People are going to love it. They raise money from friends and family. They put a shingle out and, and they go for it and they grow and and they do that and they take chances and they're very creative. It's a grueling job, though, requiring a lot, a lot of time. So maybe that's why we don't see restaurant and food industry people coming up with a lot of this tech. But if you were going to start a delivery company or if you had suggestions for some of the delivery companies out there, what, what would be on the top of your list, Tommy? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that... Uh, you know, a small restaurant should pay that large of a percentage. And I'd, I'd say the only way to really justify it is when you bring a restaurant a new customer that, yeah, maybe you are justified a, a decent percentage of that first sale, but a return customer, I can't justify continuing to pay the profit that I would make on that sale to a large corporation. That's not really giving me much directly besides that order. You know, they're not specifically advertising my brand. Like you said, I don't know, there's probably over 5,000 in the in the three bur- in the five more. boroughs. More. Um, so I, I, I don't see the point of it. Um, on top of it, I think that the customer, if anything, you know, like where these other companies are moving is the customer is paying for it's a luxury to get your food delivered to your door hot is a luxury and the the customer should pay for that convenience it shouldn't be the restaurant taking the hit because you want your food delivered to your couch um i think you brought up a good point you were talking about that none of these restaurant people are getting into the tech end of the the delivery game i think it's probably because no one opens a restaurant to say i want to deliver food <laughs> no. If you want to open a restaurant that's going to deliver food, you start a food delivery company and you have a commissary. Exactly. Yeah. Just there start a go. commissary. Exactly. Um, JC, would you have any, if you could build the perfect delivery system, what would that have? Aside from maybe perhaps the one you've already built for yourself. <laughs> uh, so it will be, I think it will be different if it is in a, a urban city like Manhattan versus a suburb. And two, three things... One, as you said, um, a repeat customer shouldn't be charged the same commission. Second is, I think it is much more optimal for the delivery company to have the delivery people because they are getting so much delivery, they can aggregate that and they can create a lot more efficiency to the system. And then the cost per delivery could come down enough so that they could pass it on to the consumer, which is what TriCaviar, Uber Eats, DoorDash, all of them are doing that. And also, I think they should really have a different commission structure depending on how far the customer is. 
That's interesting. Because I think as a restaurant owner, the biggest value to me is, would this person have come to my restaurant anyway? And if the answer is yes? If the answer is yes, I should pay very little. If the person is like more than 10 blocks away, I'd happily pay more commission because I would never see that person in my restaurant anyway, right? That's a great point. I mean, the speaking about caviar, the, the cool thing about it is that their delivery range is huge. It's massive. I mean, large enough that it's pretty skeptical how that food can be good once it's there. I mean, they do all of basically Brooklyn. I mean, your food could go from the tip of Greenpoint all the way to South Slope. I don't know, in traffic, cook time, you mean it's 45 minutes. I mean, people are paying for it, so it's awesome, and I agree with that. If it's going to travel that far, and chances are that person would never come to my place, yeah, it should be a bigger percentage. Yeah. So we ran a little over time because I think the conversation that Tommy and JC are having is, is really fascinating and one that we need to think more about. And while technology makes life really easy and convenient for us as consumers, it is a luxury and it does have an impact, one that maybe we don't think about every day. And I typically ask all my guests for a little bit of a piece of advice at the end of the show, but I'm going to take that from them today. And I'm going to say, today's piece of advice is go and visit the restaurant, coffee shop, eatery, food stand, cheese shop on your block. Find out what's in your 10 block radius and go and be local and support local, our local food life. Because when you support our local food life, it's, it's good for all of our food lives. I'm Jennifer Leutzi. This is Tech Bites. I want to thank Tommy and JC for coming out to Roberta's to have this conversation with us. I want to thank Whole Foods Brooklyn for letting us be on the air as one of our great sponsors. I want to thank Uptown Nico for the amazing, amazing theme song. Knife Show for the break music. Liz and Jack in the booth. And I will say, don't click off just yet, because coming up right after Tech Bytes, we have a short clip of what I plug all the time, full-service radio. Thanks for listening. Which video game universe seems like it would be the most delicious? Kirby. Okay. I didn't even have to think about that one. Everything's named after food. I just... that That's it. That's the answer. <laughs> all right, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Electronic musician Maxo talks about video games and jazz after a 45-minute set on full-service radio. Obviously, tons of jazz influence in the stuff you're doing and playing. Um, What's your earliest memory of falling in love with a particular album or artist? I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I think one of the earliest experiences I had that really changed me was um, listening to Herbie Hancock's Headhunters, and that was pretty like life-changing. Which is like not so far removed from what you're doing, which is crazy. Not at all. It's, <laughs> right. Um, I feel like all my music has just been in an effort to possibly emulate the feelings I got listening to that record for the first time. Hear the whole set and more on episode 103 of Full Service Radio, hosted by me, Jack Inslee. All episodes available on heritageradionetwork.org and iTunes. Thanks for listening to
to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 